Welcome to Hall of Stubs, the podcast that covers MLB greats not in the Hall of Fame. Here's your host, Zachary Nikolai. Joining Hall of Snubs today is Vince Catronio. He is the Oakland Athletics radio play-by-play broadcaster. Vince, thank you so much for joining the show, especially in the middle of a baseball season where the A's look great and the rest of Southern California baseball is in great hands as well. It's always fun to to talk baseball no matter what time of the year it is. Uh, And certainly a great start for Oakland, you're right. And it's a long season, thankfully. It's back to 162, knock on wood. Uh, Last year with the 60-game season was challenging for a lot of people. Of course, it was a challenging time. It still is in our country, but uh, thankful that the games are, are underway. And, you know, when the A's started 0-6, a lot of people want to push the panic button. Fortunately, the clubhouse didn't. 13-game winning streak and now into the rhythm of the season. So it'll be fun to see how it plays out. As you mentioned, any time to talk about baseball is a great time. Uh, I want to ask you a little bit more about your background, though. I know you're entering your 15th season with the A's. Congratulations. Um, a little bit more about what teams you've called for, because I know you've been with a couple in baseball. Well, it's, it started first in the minor leagues. Uh, I grew up in Orlando, went to the University of Central Florida. I was a radio television major there at the time when UCF was a really small school. Now it's 65, 70,000 students. When I was there, it was about 12,000 students when the dinosaurs roamed the earth. So it was a little different back then. But we had a chance to our college radio station to do the Orlando Twins on a part-time uh, home game basis. That's where it all started in 1981 and 82. And you know, that, that started the, uh, I to do the college games at UCF. It just, it started the foundation of professional baseball. And you, you look back and you see some of the names even back then, Frank Viola, you know, Greg Gagne, Tim Tuffle, Tom Kelly was the manager, uh, began to build some relationships, you know, over the years and then spent another seven years in the minor leagues. A ball, double A, triple A, all around the country. And then got to the big leagues in 91 with the Houston Astros. I was there for seven years in the National League with them. I went to the Rangers, uh, 2000, or, uh, 1998 to 2003. And I have been with the, uh, with the A's since 2006. I'm very blessed to do what I do. It's an it's a, it's a opportunity to, to live my dream job and uh, enjoy every day getting out of bed and uh, just thinking about what lies ahead for that day because every game is different and it's fun to be a part of that. As you mentioned, you've been with the A's for 15 years now and the player we're going to talk about today is a longtime athletic, Mark McGuire. I want to ask you, there are some guys that I watch and they wow me through the TV screen and I wish I'd been able to see them in person because I've heard stories where it's like they are even greater in person. And so with you being with the athletics, how Often, first off, you get to talk to Mark McGuire. And second, how great was he as a baseball player? Well, in Mark's heyday, he was, to put in perspective, his own peers, uh, visiting players, would stay out on the field to watch him take batting practice. I think that speaks volumes to what, you know, what he represented and something that he could do that a lot of players couldn't do, which is, you know, hit the ball as far as he could and, and do it in a manner that was, you know, at times second to none. And I think when, when the people in your own fraternity stop and pay attention because they're all great athletes in their own right and certainly have their own outstanding abilities, but to take pause and admire something that another player can do, I think that speaks volumes to what and the opposition thought of Mark McGuire at the time. As a fan, you stayed in your seat. You knew when Mark was coming up. You, know, you were not going to get popcorn. You were not going to go get a cold beverage. 
you were going to wait until that at bat was over to see if he was going to hit a home run. And I think that's, that's something that not a very lot of, not a lot of players have had that moniker attached to them. There have been some certainly, but McGuire's on that very short list of you stayed in your seat, not only because of what he could do, but the way he, the presence that he had six, five two thirty, big, strong guy, you know, the, the big arms and the long swing. I think it was just, uh, you know, something that was admired both by fans, which happens a lot, but more importantly, it was, it was admired by teammates and, and uh, opposition players as well. As you mentioned, he hit that ball out of the park. Fun fact for you, one out of every 10 at-bats, he was hitting a home run. I mean, it's just absurd. And so today, Vince, you and I, we're going to discuss, does Mark McGuire belong in the Hall of Fame? We'll get to that decision in a little bit. But the way the Baseball Writers Association of America works is they look at six criteria and they decide if they belong in the Hall. And those six criteria are player's record, player ability, contribution to team or team, and then uh, sportsmanship, integrity, and character. I want to morph one a little bit and talk about it. So the contribution to team or team, let's make that contribution to baseball as a whole. And so everyone I've talked to uh, about in the past, you know, your Babe Ruth's, your Barry Bonds, uh, Pete Rose, they've had an effect on baseball, obviously. But Mark McGuire, I think, had a top three impact on the game. I think he actually saved baseball with the summer of 98. Can you tell me just how historic and how important that summer was between the race between Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire? Well, uh, certainly it, it did a lot to, to bring fans back to the ballpark, to bring them back to the television, to bring them back to the radio, because there was something happening that was unique. And it wasn't just one person, but it was, it was two people and two very different personalities. Sammy outgoing, uh, always blowing kisses to his, to his fans as he sprinted out to Wrigley Field, right along the, you know, the fence line out there to, to the bleacher folks. And Mark was a very reserved person. I mean, he, he still is to this day. I mean, he, he certainly knew what he could do and what he was in the process of doing, but he was not one person that really wanted to be, uh, have the spotlight on him. He appreciated his talents and appreciated what he was doing. And I think in that moment, as it was getting closer, two things. You began to see what the media crush would be like, which continues to this day, if somebody would be chasing Joe DiMaggio's you know, hitting streak record or if somebody else is chasing a single season home run record or, or approaching the all-time record, what the media crush was like and what the media responsibilities were like on a daily basis for Mark and for Sammy. They had press conferences every single day. And it wasn't just the normal St. Louis beat writers, but national writers. And we're talking having to have a special room, a special time and answer the same questions over and over and over again, and then go do your job. So I think that speaks volumes for, for the pressure that both of those guys were under given the circumstances in the modern game. And the way that he tried to embrace the Maris family and bring them along for the ride at the end, I thought also spoke very highly of, of what Mark was doing, how he understood the importance of it. And he wanted people to recognize you know, the greatness of a guy that maybe should be in the Hall of Fame and Roger Maris, a two-time MVP. And he was a Cardinal as well uh, after being a Yankee and went through so much in 1961 in a much different time and place. And uh, I think he had a great appreciation for that. Yes, yeah, I, I think those two guys were involved in, in many respects for bringing fans back. It also is a reminder that baseball turned a blind eye to how they got it done. 
And that goes all the way to the top to the commissioner, Bud Selig, who admitted, you know, afterwards, you know, knowing what he knew and yet didn't really do anything forcefully about it at the time. So uh, they, they allowed the situation to play out. He hits number 62 at home off of Steve Traxel. The catcher at that time for the Cubs was Scott Service, who's now the manager of the Seattle Mariners. And Scott is a very dear family friend. We, we go back to the Olympics in 1988. So uh, there's some unique stories there uh, about McGuire and Sosa. And yes, uh, top three might be a little high, but uh, certainly had a lot to do with, with bringing enthusiasm back to the ballpark. And so Mark McGuire ended up hitting 70 home runs. Uh, Barry Bonds ended up breaking that record later on with 73. And there are some players in the MLB still today that don't recognize that. Uh, one of them is Giancarlo Stanton back in 2017 during his MVP year. Uh, he was interviewed and he said, if I hit 62 home runs, I'm the real uh, single season home run king. And the reason that some people don't acknowledge it is because of the steroid use. Now, there were pictures of McGuire during an interview. He had the bottle in the background in his locker. People were defending him. You know, it was no, 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 McGuire could never. And then Bob Costas interviewed him back in uh, the early 2010s. I think it was 2010. And he admitted to it. How harmful are PED uses on a player, in your mind, when it comes to the Hall of Fame discussion? Well, I, mean, I think it's pretty clear that, again, let, let's, let's be honest, the Hall of Fame is a museum, okay? It's not some, it's not heaven, okay? It's, it's a place that's voted on by, by writers that feel like they live in glass houses. You know, be understanding of the group of people that are already in the Hall of Fame and the way they represented themselves and baseball in a very negative way, you know, from systemic racism to doing other things off the field to being uh, the kind of person that, that didn't necessarily fit the character clause that people want to throw in your face all the time now, an integrity clause that the writers are, are hiding behind. So I, I, do have a, I do have an issue with that. And in that era, the, the, the reality is we don't know how many people we're using. And uh, when I say how many, I don't mean just McGuire and Sosa, but what about the pitcher that suddenly could throw 95 miles an hour three days in a row because his body felt great. And that was at the beginning of when players were, be were facing multiple pitchers in a game. It wouldn't be unusual for, for Mark McGuire or somebody else to have four at-bats against three different pitchers. And that's challenging. Even today, it's almost four at-bats with four pitchers because of the way that uh, managers and, and teams are, are doling out pitcher usage. So um, we don't know all the answers on what really happened back then. I know there are much more uh, players that were involved in using than, than were singled out for using. And McGuire and Sosa and Bonds certainly at the very top of that list, Rafael Palmero as well. Uh, it just, you know, I think you have to be careful about how you, how you look at that era. And for me, uh, they all met the criteria of, of what they could do on a baseball field, in many cases, better than anybody else. And just based on, on that, uh, I think they deserve Hall of Fame consideration. Now, again, the writers have their have the way of going about their decisions and they look at it in a certain way. And that's their right because it's, it's their vote. It always has been their vote. But I think if you look at the era as a whole, and those that played in that era, basically under the same unwritten rules among players, how do they perform even in that, in that collection of players? And I think they all still deserve 
uh, consideration and probably an opportunity to, to be at Cooperstown. As you mentioned, we don't know how many used it because there was no testing back then. And it was that era known as the steroid era because it seemed like everyone was using it. And what's really interesting about the 12-time All-Star, he came out with that Costas interview and he apologized. And you don't see that very often. Now, Barry Bonds, he came out and admitted that he used it, but it wasn't an apology, more of a, uh, hey, yeah, you guys knew I did it. I did it. Um, yeah, but it wasn't on purpose. It was more of my trainer just gave me something that I didn't know. I felt the remorse from Mark McGuire. He felt, in his words, to me, it felt like he wholeheartedly was like, I cheated the fans. I cheated this game. There was something about his apology to you. Like I said, it's different. Does that apology mean more to the writers? Would he kind of have that edge over the other steroid users? Apparently not, because he didn't get more than 24% of the vote. And he's off the ballot now. It's been 10 years. So I think that answers that answers the question. I believe that was more for Mark McGuire's conscience than anything else to get that off. I mean, he missed basically two full years with the A's because of foot injuries. And he says that was part of the reason why. I'm, I know there were other factors involved there, uh, but that was that was part of, in his mind, why he went down that path. Uh, it just, with, with all the conversation about that era and, and he becomes a poster boy, only he and Jason Giambi, to my recollection or two, that actually came out publicly and said, you know, I, I did this and I'm sorry. Uh, you know, Jason, not going into the Hall of Fame either. Jason had a very good career and he's, and he's he has enough, positive equity built up in in baseball that he could still be around it just like mcguire was still around it after he played as a coach with with multiple organizations so you know again it, it, the writers have a certain way of of looking at these opportunities it's it, to them it gets tougher and tougher uh but if you have certain guys that are compilers that have gotten to the hall of fame and and guys like this that have done some things that are unique to baseball uh maybe there are different ways to look at it. And again, for me, it goes back to um, that era as a whole. However, I'm not a player that played during that time that maybe didn't use. And maybe I'm not the player that didn't get a big league career because the guy that was using made the club and I didn't. And I have a different opinion about how that guy's path got him an opportunity to enjoy the, the fruits and the riches of major league baseball while I was still grinding and trying to, you know, make a living as a double A or triple A player. So they're, you know, inside their own fraternity, they've got, you know, they've got uh, conversations that, that take place that, that gives you one opinion or the other. So Mark McGuire, longtime ace, he built up 583 home runs, 1,626 hits, 1,414 RBIs. He had a 263 batting average. His accolades are awesome. Gold glove, 12 time all-star, as I mentioned, three times silver slugger, won a world series. He was awesome. And by his side for some of those uh, hits and achievements when he was with the A's was his uh, bash brother, Jose Canseco. Jose, this time, uh, first off, he went and wrote a book and he came out saying that he actually himself injected players with steroids. He kind of was the one that started the, oh, so-and-so did it, so-and-so did it. He was the whistleblower, so to speak. Uh, now he has Twitter, which is a great tool. Uh, and it's also a great tool for him to speak his mind. He went out and tweeted in early March, verbatim, he said, Mark McGuire corked his bat before every single game. And that's the end of the tweet. First off, 
Vince, I want to ask you, do you believe that Mark McGuire had the time to cork his bat? And if so, if he did, did that harm your thoughts of McGuire being in the Hall of Fame? Well, I can't base my opinion on one tweet from Jose Canseco. I mean, I, I just don't see it. I don't know. I mean, I, it's, you know, Jose Canseco is a, is a very bitter person toward the sport. Uh, and he certainly has gone off the rails in a, in a number of areas in his life. And this is a way for him in his mind to stay relevant, especially in the reality TV world that we live in and people wanting to be recognized, you know, in some cases for doing absolutely nothing. Now, I mean, Jose certainly had some accomplishments in the big leagues as a player. And the fact that he, he, when he went down this path to write the book, which certainly changed a lot of things in baseball that needed to be done. And it should have been done without, without him having to write the book, but he did. Uh, he, he has his, his reasons for, for making those kinds of statements. He, he, he wants to make you feel like he can take you inside the clubhouse. I have no idea, you know, how that, if, if that happened with McGuire or anybody else for that matter, I it just, it's, uh, you know, what, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas sometimes, or, you know, uh, there's, there's no other person out there that has backed up Conseco's story or nobody else has come out and said, you know, that's right. I saw it too. Uh, it's, it's one guy trying to, you know, to, to create a firestorm. And I, I Mark is well past having peace with everything that's happened in his career and the decisions that have been made in terms of the voting, whether he should be in the hall of fame or not. Uh, the fact that he's in the Cardinals Hall of Fame and he's now in the A's Hall of Fame, while it's not Cooperstown, I, I think the, the fan bases showed him in both instances how much they loved and, and admired him and what he meant to them uh, as a fan of his performances. And I think that carries a lot more weight than worrying about what Jose Canseco feels like tweeting at all hours of the day to, to let people know that he's still around. I knew Mark was going to be in the A's Hall of Fame, but when he went to the Cardinals Hall of Fame, that just showed how much that fan base loved him. I mean, they wrapped the, their arms around him, and that was a really awesome moment for him. Uh, as you mentioned with Jose, I mean, I, I don't understand it anymore, man. Especially, I was talking to someone about Pete Rose, and there were allegations that he used to cork his bat. And then Mythbusters went and did a thing on uh, corking your bat. It actually makes it worse for your batting. So even if he did, I mean, he actually gave himself a disadvantage and still was able to hit one home run every 10 at bat. So... It's just incredible what Mark McGuire did. Uh, Vince, as we come to the end of the show, with all my guests, I like to pretend that we are the BBWAA. We put on our writer's hats and we vote. So based on the six criteria, as we mentioned, Mark McGuire's playing ability was none other. He was recognized by the fans and by his peers. His accolades, I ran through them, very impressive. Uh, his sportsmanship, his integrity, and his character, I think that was shown a lot in his apology, how he held himself, how he was reserved, even in the biggest moments, and then also his contribution, in my eyes, to baseball, and then also to his teams. In your eyes, does Mark McGuire belong in the MLB Hall of Fame? And then let's take it a step further once you answer that. Do you think the Veterans Committee will vote him in eventually? Well, I mean, it's, the part of the debate with McGuire independent of the 583 home runs is that he was in, in Ryder's estimation, a one trick pony. That's all he did was, he, you know, he hit home runs and he missed almost two full seasons. He played 16 in the big leagues. He didn't have a lot of hits. Like you mentioned, just over 1600, which is a very, very low number uh, for hall of fame standards. The flip side of that is that you, you have players in the hall of fame that have played 20, 22, 
or even longer. And they built up numbers over time that, that got them to 3,000 hits or got them to other uh, numbers that uh, the BBWA looks at and say that that's a Hall of Fame criteria. I mean, when, when I first started in the big leagues, you got 500 at home runs, you got 3,000 hits, you got 300 wins. Your, your ticket is punched no matter what. And then as the years went on and, and things looked different, you know, a jaundice eye for the baseball writers with the issue with the steroid era, suddenly, you know, you've got, you know, Barry Bonds who's not in. And, you know, Barry was, was a very difficult person to deal with. Barry was a, an extremely talented player before all this happened, before apparently he got caught up in the Sosa McGuire uh, love fest that he wanted some of that. And he gets that in San Francisco, but no place else. You know, the all-time home run leader, at least on paper, is not in the Hall of Fame. So the 500 number doesn't carry weight with the rider because they say it was, it was done in a, in a tainted way. So the, the, the question, as, as I brought up before, is do you deal with it simply as the era? And those that were in the era competed against each other, and whatever those numbers were, do they stack up to get them to Cooperstown? Uh, for me, the answer with McGuire is yes. An OPS of well over 900, uh, you mentioned, I mean, he still has the major league record with most home runs per at bat. You can take all the performance enhancing drugs you want, and you can do all the things you need to do to, to get ready for a baseball game. Still hitting a baseball is maybe the most difficult thing to do in sports. And, you know, the fan digs the long ball and 583 speaks volumes. But again, Alex Rodriguez, you know, he's, he's not going to go in either. To me, the big question coming up is David Ortiz. David Ortiz is on the ballot next year. And how do, how do the writers look at him? He had great postseason with the Red Sox. He was named in the Mitchell Report, which, again, much like McGuire, it happened at a time where there wasn't any testing, although it was before that. And yet David has this incredible amount of, again, positive equity that's built up. And I'll be interested to see, you know, what numbers he gets. The fact that McGuire topped out at 24%, I think is is unfair to, to just simply single him out as a person that that uh, was alone in doing that. 583, once every 10 at-bats, doing something that very few people did in the history of the sport, in my estimation. And as you mentioned, throwing in the apology, state of the game afterwards, uh, you know, as a coach, uh, beloved by two franchises, two of the most historic franchises in baseball history. And like you said, with the Cardinals, he was there five years. To be there five years and put in their Hall of Fame, with the Gibsons and the Musials and the Hornsby's and the Shane Deans's and the Brock's, uh, you know, that, that speaks to, you know, cons you know, considered by many possibly the most uh, uh, well-intentioned fans of baseball, the smartest fans of baseball, and they welcome McGuire to the Hall of Fame. Uh, to me, yes, he belongs to Cooperstown. I don't, the, but the issue is until the Veterans Committee morphs until it becomes a veterans committee that is filled with more players that were in McGuire's era. And that's going to take an extraordinary amount of time until that happens. Uh, I don't see Mark getting into Cooperstown, but I would like to see it happen. Sir. A lot of great points you just mentioned. Uh, I agree with you on him being in to me. I've made it very clear. I think Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa saved baseball. I think it was dying for a little bit and then they boosted those ratings. Like you mentioned, and as you said, the commissioner at the time knew. I think everybody at that time, not only did they know, 
I think they endorsed it. I think they would go to their players and go, hey, you know, there's no testing. This gives you an edge. Let's do it. And so for baseball to enjoy everything that has happened now because of that steroid era, let alone Mark McGuire, and then say, oh, you know what? Yeah, you did your thing for baseball. You did your thing for the sport. We're not going to honor you. I, that's not the way it should be. You know, he helped baseball in a time when it needed it, and he should be deserving of that recognition. The Veterans Committee now, if they let in Barry Bonds, the very next year, I think Mark McGuire gets in. I think, as you mentioned, once you start getting more people from era and people who look at it and go, okay, I can allow this because there are more than just steroids. I always tell people, hitting a round ball with a round bat is probably the hardest thing to do in the world. Physics-wise, it just does not work. So once Barry Bonds gets in, I wholeheartedly believe McGuire's in the next one or two years. Let's not be naive. Back in the 50s and 60s, players were taking amphetamines to play because of, you know, tougher travel of day games after night games just to, to have their body focused to perform. Now, talk about players that are already in the Hall of Fame. You can make a case that there are players currently in the Hall of Fame from the steroid era that probably uh, were suspected of using uh, steroids. And biogenesis proved that the science will always be ahead of the testing. Even as recently as last year, Jose or uh, Robert, Robinson Cano is out for a year because of, of testing. Players will always find an edge. They'll look for an edge. That will never change. And the science is typically ahead of, of what they can test for, whether it's being able to flush the system out or find a new designer drug that's easier to mask, whatever the case might be. Uh, that's the nature of, of the money that's in the, in the game and the, the fame that's in the game and all that, that it allows you to chase. And some players in their mind, right or wrong, you know, mostly wrong, but, but they, they look at it from a standpoint of if this is going to, if this is going to help me feed my family, it's going to help me feed generations of my family, and I'm not going to get caught, I may consider going down that path. And while it's not as prevalent as it once was, uh, people are still trying it. And I think you, you have to be, you have to recognize that that is still a, an ongoing issue. What McGuire and what Sosa went through and what Bonds has gone through, Yes, that was their time, but the, the issue is still there, and the issue will always be there, and so baseball writers have to come to grips with uh, if there was, you know, an error before the, the African-American was allowed to play baseball, if there was an error before the home run was king, uh, if there was an error before the mound was raised, all these different things that have happened over the course of, of the, you know, century-plus time of Major League Baseball, the steroid era is another era that has to be considered you know in its own merit and i think voted upon in that way whether it's as little as pine tar or as big as peds players will always keep trying to find that next step to make them have that advantage and with that note that'll conclude today's episode vince catronio of the oakland athletics thank you so much again as i mentioned in the middle of the baseball season vince i appreciate you hopping on the show today appreciate it thank you zach good to be with you I'm Zachary Nikolai. Join Hollis Snubs next week as we talk about one of my favorite players growing up whose story you think you know, but I'll give you a different way to look at it with someone very close to him. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to 
Hall of Snubs. You can follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Hall of Snubs. You can follow the host on Instagram at Zachary underscore Nikolai. Thank you to Mike Lapones for his oversight of this production. Hall of Snubs is a University of Laverne senior project.